You are called by God. Here's Pastor Ed Ray to explain. Walk worthy of God who calls you right now. It's in the present tense. Paul is saying that you are being called and I'm being called at this very moment right now by God. Well, I've already been called. Well, you're being called again. It happens every day. God is calling you a little deeper every day. It's safe to say to every one of us. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your is there anything more exciting than being called by God? It confirms there's a real purpose and meaning for your life. And since that's so, you'll want to know what's involved in this high calling. And that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're so glad you've joined us as we continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's there we're going to discover what's involved in the ministry that we're all called to. You know, there's at least three things. First is the Word, and we'll spend the bulk of our time on that. Then on next week's broadcast, we'll present the remaining two. Pastor Ed starts off today by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, picking up in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul writes, that you would have a walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. And glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you in a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your faces with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us now from your word, even though it was written so long ago. Apply it. Help us to understand it in our own lives this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God who calls you, each one of us, he's calling. We're looking at a letter Paul wrote, and he said uh, last time that he had been a parent to this church in northern Greece. He said he was like a mother and like a father. I know a dad who has a five-year-old son who uh, is uh, rambunctious, and dad has constantly having to sit on him to quiet him down and get him to obey. And he had uh, spoke to him the other day and rather strongly, and the boy walked off and went to his room, and he came out carrying his blanket, his teddy bear, and a piggy bank. 
and announced, I'm running away. And of course, the mom's freaking out, and dad looks over at her, raises his eyebrows, and he said uh, to the son, well, what if you get hungry? And he said, well, then I'll come home, get something to eat. Well, what if you run out of money? He said, well, I'll come home and get some. <laughs> he said, well, uh, what if your clothes are dirty? He said, well, I'll come home and mom will wash them. He turned to his wife and said, he's not running away from home, he's going off to college. <laughs> I loved it. So Paul talks about being parents in the section before this, but in this section, he speaks to these new believers in Thessalonica as brothers and sisters. Brethren, he uses the word twice in verse 14 17. If you're just joining us, Paul has written this letter many years ago, 50, 51 AD, and uh, he's writing it from the city of Corinth in southern Greece to this church in Thessalonica that's still a city today in northern Greece. And as you come down the coast, you'll see Athens in the center and Corinth to the left at that. He's in Corinth riding back up to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica is a seaport city, a lot of trading going on in and out of there. You see ships in the harbor today when you visit it. There's an 18th century tapestry here that uh, describes it back then. It is an important city with a large agora. That's the shopping center. And uh, you can visit it today. Uh, these coins were found in that shopping center from 50 AD, which is the year we believe that Paul visited Corinth. So it's interesting that they found a coin from that exact time. I give you these little archaeology tidbits to help you realize we're talking about a real place at a real time in history and lots of archaeological proof in it. This is the Via Ignatia, which is the Roman road that ran through Thessalonica. The other reason it was so busy, this road ran from Rome all the way to Constantinople or Istanbul today. That's Mount Olympus behind it. It sits uh, at the foothills of Mount Olympus, where, of course, we get the word uh, Olympic Games from. It was the mountain of the gods to them. It had a dozen gods that lived up there. I say to give you a flavor for how embedded it is in that culture was in that society. And there were temples and altars and sacrifices going on daily in the city to these idols. So it's into this city that Paul comes. No one has ever brought the gospel before. The second large European city that he's come to and he goes into a synagogue because he goes to the Jews first and he preaches there three Sabbaths and then they run him out of town. He goes all the way down to Corinth and then sends Timothy back up. Timothy comes back with a good report, so Paul writes this letter. Now, Paul is concerned about them because they had very little training, but they seem to be doing really, really good. In the first chapter, Paul used himself as an example of showing love and faith and hope. And now, using himself as an example, he describes how he had poured himself out uh, to them and how he came and served them. That his motive wasn't for money, it wasn't for notoriety, he was just doing it because he was concerned about their eternal destiny. Hmm. That eternity is a lot longer than the years we're here on planet Earth. So a wise person would consider time without end certainly as more important than the short 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we live here. 
And uh, what do we do about eternity? He had the words for them, the words of life, the good news. God came, became a man, died on a cross, bled out his blood for us so our sins might be forgiven. Jesus Christ gave it all for you and I. So it is a uh, place to recognize that we're in ministry. Paul says he's a minister, but we use that word differently today. It means to serve somebody else, to serve others. Paul said, I came to serve you. Now, that makes you a minister and me a minister who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, that we are to serve one another. Well, pastor, I'm a brand new Christian. How can I help somebody? There's somebody here that's younger in the Lord than you are. <laughs> it's just guaranteed. Somebody in this room, maybe somebody sitting near you. I hope you realize that when I say, turn around and say hello to somebody, get their name, it's not just being friendly, although of course I want you to be friendly. I'm also looking to set up an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to you or to them and that maybe they have something for you or maybe you have something for them. And so it's your opportunity to think about that person you turn around and said hello to and right now you're going, what was their name? I can't remember their name. And uh, so you didn't care. You didn't care enough to think about their name. <laughs> Next week, I want you to feel guilty and remember their name. That's what church is for, to make you feel guilty, right? Mm. Sorry, I grew up in that church. I'm trying to get away from that. So Paul is talking about ministering to people, and he kind of goes down a list of things that it was to him. Now, he is sharing, ministering, serving others, and he talks about it in three ways. 12 and 13, he says the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, speaking God's Word to each other. A persecution, interesting enough, 14 through 16, because when difficult times come, we bond together. We get closer to others and they help, we help each other go through it. Hope, joy, and rejoicing, 17 through 20. Paul says, what's really important? What's he looking forward to? What's he expecting out of these Thessalonians? Well, they're gonna come back with Jesus Christ when he comes in the clouds. Jesus is coming again. Interesting subject that appears four times in this short letter. So, let's jump in, see what God would say to us, starting in verse 12. Paul says, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you, God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we looked at this kind of quickly last time. We have a walk. Now, this word walk appears many times in Scripture. It's usually talking about walking with God. We walk with other people, of course, but the most important person you can have walking with you is God right alongside. It's what Adam and Eve enjoyed when they were in the garden. They walked with God until that little forbidden fruit rebellion. A walk is simply how we live our lives every day, authentic actions, genuine actions that reflect God. You see, people are watching you. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, a little Christ, as that literally means, then people are watching you. You're listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. He's reminding us of our call to walk worthy since we're being watched. We continue now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12 with what those who are watching hope to see. Most of them are hoping you're going to fail. 
<laughs> because if you fail, then that means they don't have to feel guilty about not being a Christian because they're as good as you are and everything works. I know I used that for a long time in my own life. Well, that's a Christian. Golly, I'm doing better than they are. Genuine believers live a life of a servant. Now, Paul is not talking about authentic living in order to be saved. He's not earning heaven. What he's saying is because we are saved and we are children of the king, our lives will reflect him. Don't get that backwards. It is often taught backwards in churches. You don't earn your salvation. It's a gift of God. You surrender to him. He invades your life. God comes and dwells in you, and then he starts changing you from the inside. But you have total control to not let him in. That's the scary part. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, David said. Wonderful when we choose to follow the creator of the universe, which might be called wisdom, <laughs> which is called wisdom, and make our life significant and count for eternity, or we can be foolish and not allow him to have control. Free will, frightening thing. So, walk worthy of the God who calls you, who calls you right now. It's in the present tense. Paul is saying that you are being called and I'm being called at this very moment right now by God. Well, I've already been called. Well, you're being called again. It happens every day. God is calling you a little deeper every day. It's safe to say to every one of us that God wants us to move. He wants us to grow. He's calling us from something to something. He's calling us from labor to rest. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11:28. He's calling us from death, eternal death, separation from God, to life, eternal life, John. 314. He calls us from bondage, from being a slave to sin, to liberty, freedom, out from underneath it, being able to become everything God wants me to be. He called me, he called you out of darkness. He's calling you right now, further out of darkness, in, into the light. You are children of the light, he said. He calls us into fellowship, relationship, personal, intimate relationship with God. So, he'll say, Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Will do what? He'll get you there. He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the heavenly Father. God is able. I'm not. You're not. But God is willing and able to get you all the way to heaven. Your part, surrender. My part, surrender. God's part, get us home. God is constantly calling us to higher ground. We don't have a static relationship. We have a very dynamic, moving relationship with God. We never arrive. No danger of thinking, well, I'm a saint now. Everything's good. No, you are a saint, but uh, don't let that go to your head. Got no halo. Don't levitate off the ground. You're just uh, trying, like the rest of us, to be set aside to him. That's what sainthood means. Until that final day when God does call us into eternity, instantaneously, boom, just like that. It's a process is the point. Salvation, justification, and instant in time. Sanctification, growing in him, as long as you and I are breathing. We're still growing in him. Leonard Ravenhill was a great revivalist pastor, and uh, he used to like to tell the story of a, a busload of tourists that showed up in a Scottish village, very picturesque village, little stone houses, and, and they're walking around, and they turn a corner, and there's an old farmer sitting there. 
And uh, one of the tourists walks up to him and he says, uh, Sir, have any great men been born in this village? And he looked at him a moment, the Scotsman said, Nah, only children. <laughs> only babies. Babies are born there. Some of them grew to be important in the kingdom of God. We're all born babies, born again babies, and we all start out very slowly. So be encouraged. God's going to get us there. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word, verse 13, when you received the word which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God, which was also effectively works in you who believe. Verse 13, for this reason, you received the word of God, the word. Paul says that the Thessalonians were open and ready, that when he spoke words, which were from God, he was following what God told him to do. This would actually become part of the Bible, the New Testament as he was speaking the gospel to them, and they took it as this is from God. Now, this is an interesting dichotomy that's going on here. Two things happen. Somebody speaks and somebody else listens and receives. The person that's speaking has a requirement to spend time with God, be filled with the Holy Spirit. As Paul said, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and gave you the good news, the gospel. So this morning, that's my responsibility. You have spent time before God in study and prayer that God's Spirit would be moving here. Now, here's your part. Receive. All you got to do is sit and receive and take it in. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. You know, I look at people every week, and, and some of your faces make me think that maybe you've been sucking on an unripe lime for a long time, or you're really unhappy with what I'm going to say, or you're hoping I'm going to say something really stupid, which happens all the time, but so that you can feel justified in getting up and walking out. Challenge. God is here, and he's speaking. He can talk through anyone. He talked through a donkey, Balaam's donkey in the Old Testament, okay? He can talk through this donkey. The question is, will you receive the good news, the Word of God for you today, no matter where you are in the body of Christ, when you're listening on the radio, when you're uh, reading, will you receive how we need to get our attitudes adjusted, myself included, and say, God, I got a crummy attitude today. Help me to receive what it is. You're calling me. You want me to go higher. Help me to receive it. The Word of God. Now, that term appears 49 times in the New Testament. The Word of God in both written form and spoken. Paul is talking about the spoken form here. We're studying His Word, which Hebrews 4 tells us is alive. The Bible is totally unique. It's a completely unique book in the world. We live in a world that is filled with books. Solomon warned many years ago, 3,000 years ago, that after the making of many books is vanity. But we live in a world that is just crowded with books. The Library of Congress is for Congress. The Library of Congress has 122 million pieces of information there. It has 35 million books. 35 million books that are on 838 miles of shelves. 
they receive 22,000 new books every working day in English printed in these United States. To get a Library of Congress number, you have to send a new book to them. And they stamp it, they catalog it, they put it in their archives, and it's there for people. You can go uh, study things in the Library of Congress. It's for Congress, of course, for them to check out the books. You can't check out books, but you can go and read them. So we got millions, 35 million books, just books besides all the recordings and photographs and other things that are there. 35 million books. This one's completely unique, this Bible that we're studying. There is no other one like it. It is alive, God said, Hebrews 4, that there's something about it that makes it living. It penetrates. It pierces our heart. Here's the way it says it. For the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Bible has this quality. When I read it, it's like I go under the surgeon's knife every time. Maybe because I'm so bad. You guys probably, it's all just fine. But for me, when I read it, God starts cutting stuff out of my life and pointing. But he also comes as a surgeon with sutures. He's he's got a, a needle and thread to sew up and heal and change my life. It's piercing. Secondly, four quick ones here. It's life giving. I love this part of scripture. Listen, the way God said it in Isaiah 55, 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven does not return, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Like rain, like water, every living thing has to have water. The Bible will nourish you and give you refreshment. Living water, it's called. The Word of God does the same. So it's piercing, it's penetrating, it is life-giving. Thirdly, it is effective. Here's the way Paul writes to Timothy about it. 2 Timothy 3, 13, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed literally, inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's effective when God sends it out. It, it does things in us. It changes us. Profitable. It accomplishes what God meant it to bring. And lastly, it is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will never pass away. We live in a world where there's a lot of temporary stuff. The older I get, the more I see how temporary things are. You know, friends that were here last week are not here this week. Uh, Loved ones, gone. Everything is deteriorating. This This world is going to go up in one big holocaust. This world, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but his word never will. You can rely on his word. You rely on it, you pray it, you expect it to happen. God will make it happen. It has these four qualities. There's power in God's Word. Indeed, Pastor Ed Ray reminding us of the life-giving, life-changing power of God's eternal Word along with our disposition towards it. And this is Grow in Grace, our weekend edition. Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is part of our study in 1 Thessalonians 
and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship. And if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. You know, as we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking for our listeners to help. Even a small donation can have a huge impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight into the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. So again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now build with hands And in this place got to dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your 